0: this is the we the people our american story podcast my name is tina McCafferty. join me every week to hear the remarkable stories of veterans combat survivors first responders and american patriots in their own words if you are pro-freedom and pro-america you are in the right place We the People, Our American Story is the podcast for Americans who fiercely and unapologetically love America. There is no better feeling than knowing your family always has access to clean, safe drinking water. The CyberTech Ring A10 Atmospheric Water Generator is the answer to your peace of mind. The A10 generates clean, fresh drinking water out of humidity, creating up to 10 liters of drinking water each day. The A10 is environmentally friendly with a small footprint a solar option for remote location and eliminates bottled water. 36 month financing is available around $70 a month. Visit mywatersource.net. Use code patriot which in turn will help the We the People our American Story podcast reach more patriots. Cheers to clean drinking water and the Cybertech Ring A10 atmospheric water generator.
1: Um, you know, I'm I've always considered myself to be kind of a sacrificial lamb, meaning that uh you know, it's kind of like my job to, to protect and defend, you know, those in this, in this country. And I just couldn't stop at the military. I just keep had to keep going. You know, I've, I've died a a few times literally died. I've broken 27 bones in my body. Um, I've just recently almost died just a couple, uh, about a week ago, actually over in Uganda. So, and Heather actually uh, lived through that, seeing me, you know, failing away, and I've done this multiple, multiple, multiple times, but the thing is that I've always felt like, you know, you know, my body is a tool and I'm here to protect and defend this country and I'll do it to every extent that I have to do it.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of We The People, Our American Story podcast. Today is a very special episode. Today I am talking to Heather Hobbs and John Ferguson. The date today is January 23rd. And I say this because I am very naive, I guess, in this matter, because I had no clue that January, let me say it, it's a mouthful, is the National Human Trafficking Prevention Month. I had no clue. So this podcast today is definitely serendipitous, hope I said that correctly, because my two guests today are going to talk about human trafficking and the plight of what is happening on the southern border. So without further ado, welcome, Heather.
2: Welcome, John. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having us. We're so grateful to be able to be here to share the messages of those who are are being dehumanized.
1: Uh, Thank you very much. We uh, certainly appreciate this opportunity.
0: Let's start with how you both became interested in helping on the southern border. What led you to this monumentous task on our southern border?
2: I'll go ahead and allow John to go first because he has far more experience fighting at the border.
1: Well, thank you, Heather. I I guess it all started when I really got into traveling around the world. Um, I've been to almost over 80 countries now around the world. I've seen firsthand uh, child sex trafficking victims, you know, in, in countries uh, over in, in Asia and in in that area. Uh, And I always just thought that it was just disgusting because I didn't, I knew this kind of stuff would happen and I knew it happened, but I never actually saw it uh, firsthand until, until I got over to Asia and uh, um, and for, I don't know why, but it just struck me. uh, It was a very emotional thing for me because I have children of my own and I couldn't imagine my children having to go through what I had seen. So when I got back to the U.S. Uh, I would do about 30, 45, maybe 60 days overseas and then come home for 30 days or so. And then I did that for years. And so every time I got home, uh, to the U.S., I always just felt like, you know, this is just the greatest country on earth because, you know, this kind of stuff doesn't happen here. But then, uh, as I had developed this company that manufactures military unmanned aircraft and, uh, you know, tactical robot crawlers. I started to become more exposed to, you know, the, uh, the deeper layers of the onion. And I started to realize that this is actually a huge problem over here. Um, I used to say that uh, commodity, uh, you know, oil was the largest commodity imported into the United States. Uh, but then I started to realize here just recently that, Actually, my own words, no one else's, I believe that human trafficking is the largest commodity imported into the United States. And we've seen it firsthand. So as a, a patriot, a, a very stern American and one who loves and wants to protect this country and the people in it, I realized that this is something that is a passion of mine that I just can't, I just can't keep bottled up. So, so that is in a very condensed version, why I have such a passion for, uh, for this subject.
0: So before Heather jumps in here, John, I'm curious, you were traveling because of the business that you just spoke of.
1: Yes. Uh, so I used to, uh, I was a commercial, uh, a deep sea diver. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, what we would call a hard hat diver. Uh, and then I got into piloting submersible vehicles. So, I traveled around the world piloting submersible vehicles, um, you know, doing fiber optics, telecommunications lines, oil and gas. And then, of course, uh, in 2008, 2010-ish, the uh, U.S. Uh, administration at the time had destroyed the oil and gas industry based off of the, uh, the BP oil spill. So I felt at that time that I needed to diversify because we had lost over 2.5 million jobs around the world from the United States administration's policies and the, uh, the moratorium on deep water drilling. Um, and then the, uh, the inevitable um, uh, seizure of uh, contracts, um, leases for offshore drilling. Uh, so, so the oil and gas industry was tanking at the time. So I, I felt like I needed to diversify and I wanted to diversify into an industry that would, no matter what would happen, I wouldn't be tied to one specific industry. I can be tied to all industry.
0: How, as you're traveling, see the trafficking? Is it just right there? I mean, sure, you aren't actively looking for it. How did that present itself to you as you're traveling the world?
1: Well, it's blatantly disgusting because, you know, you can't go out to a bar or go and have uh, a few beers or drinks with your, with your friends and colleagues. Uh, and so when you go to these places... In the evening, you're, you are, uh, you are literally, literally, they come up to you and say, Hey, you want boy, you want girl, you know, you want 10 year old, you want 12 year old, you know, uh, you want 15 year old. It's, it's just that disgusting.
0: There's no hiding it. Wow. Heather, your turn.
2: Well, as you know, Tina, because we've done show a show before with Jonathan over on your other podcast, I started out fighting abortion because of my own children being recommended to be aborted. And I got into this battle thinking it was just going to be helping women choose life and helping them get the resources that they need, the diapers, the formula, the donor breast milk, whatever it was, housing, rent. And as I got more involved, God called me to this trafficking world because the traffickers forcibly make their victims get multiple abortions to keep them in prostitution. And that really sparked my interest in learning about the, the abortion side of it. In addition to that, as you know, Antifa called CPS on me, I think, 32 or 37 times. I don't think you in- talked
0: about that, Heather.
2: Oh, really? Yeah, it was in the Epic Times. Um, I spoke at the Oregon Trump rally, and, and uh, right after that, they put me on the dark web along with pictures of my children. And they called CPS on me multiple times. And luckily, my children were never taken, but it, it took me into another world of finding out that the CPS system is complacent and being utilized for trafficking. And in Oregon, they can actually, in your reunification plan, which is the plan that the government says you have to follow to get your children back, they can order you to have an abortion in your reunification plan to get your born children back. So there was this whole child trafficking in that regard. And then, of course, I was coming across so many trafficked girls that were from foreign countries and abroad. There were foster kids that were being trafficked and forced to have abortion. So it started out with abortion, then expanded over there. And then, of course, a lot of these trafficked girls are forcibly drugged in the beginning. So that way they become addicted to things like heroin or meth. And at that point, they're not going to leave their traffickers because they become dependent on them. So then I got involved in fighting the drug crisis, the fentanyl and the the heroin and all those things. And it basically was the domino effect, you know, that one evil was connected to another, to another, to another. And it expanded my world from being at home in my community, coaching soccer and baseball, helping out with my church, you know, doing food bank drives, just simple i mean those are big things but to me compared to what i'm doing now it seemed relatively like just a normal simple life and god just kept exposing me to more and more and so as i became a public speaker and a public figure traveling the country testifying for legislation to protect the lives of the innocent regarding abortion god expanded me over to human trafficking and it just kept persisting and i started going to the border of texas and I've went with Border Patrol several times. I've worked with local police. I've been not just in Texas and, and now Arizona, but all over the country. You know, they say that every state is a border state because they ship these girls all over. And America is the number one consumer of these trafficked children. We are the one, We are considered the predators in the eyes of these children. Us, us Americans, not you know these big bad people that we think of. Americans are the number one consumer, and it also is tied to the porn industry. So I, I just kind of started fighting all these things because they're all connected, and one of the biggest ways that they are connected is the supply and demand, right? That we're supplying the the human beings and treating them as as commodities, as just things that are. Able to be thrown away, and so, and it's not just sex trafficking. A lot of people think sex trafficking is one of the biggest things, but actually, uh, slave labor is a huge one. Organ harvesting, and then of course, smuggling drugs with people, and then uh, sadly, killing them after their use. They have no more use. And I've personally seen a lot of these atrocities of you know, especially with border patrol in Texas, dead children in the desert that are left out there. Uh, there are rape trees in the Texas that I haven't, I'm sure they're probably out in Arizona, but the, what the rape tree is, is there are these trees on our side of the border that have panties thrown all over them as basically a, a trophy. And they don't show this in the mainstream media. And that's part of what John and I, I think are both trying to expose is the American people don't see or know these things. So they don't realize what wickedness is actually at their doorstep. So in a very long way that I just said it, Part of it started out with just fighting for innocent babies, and then realizing that it's just so much bigger. That was just one little piece of the puzzle.
0: John, what is your mission on the border?
1: My my mission on the border, which I think is all of our mission on the border, is to, like Heather had uh, clearly stated, that you know it's it's our job to expose uh, to the American people what's actually happening. You know, I, I just get I get so sick and tired of, of hearing Americans just say, you know, I don't I, I don't know what's going on. You know, I, I sat on an airplane uh, coming back from Uganda uh, the other day and. Um, and this guy, he's, he's making a conversation with me. He says, so what do you do? And I said, well. <laughs> And uh, I said, well, I have a company that manufactures drones and, you know, I do, you know, some volunteer work. I go down to the border and fight, you know, human trafficking and drugs and stuff. And, and he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, you know, all of the, you know, the, the illegal um, migration that's coming across is bringing a lot of uh, nefarious activity. And he's like, well, like what? And I was like, well, how many people do you actually think have been brought across the border since January, since Biden took office? And he goes, I don't know, 500,000, a million. (laughs) It's like, oh my God, this dude is clueless. So um, I said, no, if you watch the news, you'll see 2 million, 3 million, you know, something along those lines. Well, actually, if people really knew what was going on, they would understand that there's over 30 to 40 million people that have been brought into this country illegally since January of 2020.
0: Wait, I Googled that because I wanted to try to prepare for today. So I tried Googling different sites, and of course, they're all different, and you never know which one to believe in, but a lot of them were like 2 to 3 million how is that so far off? What is happening?
1: Because because they don't want you to know what they're doing. I mean, look, it's, it's 30 to 40 million people that have been brought into this country illegally since January of 2020. Don't let anybody snowball you anymore. Those are the numbers. Those are the numbers that I have spoken with and confirmed with the highest levels of the government. And they don't want you to know that.
0: So, John, are we just speaking just um, strictly southern border, or are we talking total?
1: We are talking southern border. No way. We are talking southern border, and I'm sorry to be the one to break the news. I
0: just you. got chills—not good you chills. Should. You should, and all of your
1: and all of your listeners should feel sick to their stomach. But, but to answer your question directly, the reason why, um, you know, I choose to go down to the southern border is because of the child sex trafficking, the regular human trafficking, and the fentanyl. You gotta understand that you know we have enemies out there. We are fighting multiple wars. We're fighting a proxy war with Russia through Ukraine. We're fighting a war with Iran. We're fighting a war with China. We're fighting a war on drugs. We're fighting Antifa and BLM amongst ourselves. We're fighting a war between the left and the right, the white and the black. We're fighting all of these wars. This is all by design, okay? But fentanyl, you know, uh, I was uh, myself and another uh, individual had uh, uh, testified in front of the Arizona um, House of Representatives and, and it was a small meeting and You know, one of the things that was brought up was like a sugar packet of of, uh, sweet and low that you get at a restaurant. If that were to be the same amount of fentanyl, that would kill a couple of thousand people. Okay, so it's very, very, very deadly. And now they've got a new one that's even more deadly than that. So the thing is, and I so I did a lot of border missions against the cartel. I started this journey south of the border working with the special operations police in Mexico. Okay. And they were always, you know, telling me, John, tell America what we're doing down here because people don't really know that the Mexican special operations police are trying to combat the cartels before they even get to the border. Right. So I spent two and a half years doing that South of the border. All right. So I saw all of the, 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 the the atrocities South of the border and how the police were trying to combat that before they even get to our border. But I was screaming for years that China is funding the cartels and they're bringing all of the illegal weapons, millions of rounds of ammunition and millions of weapons into the United States with, with this fentanyl, car fentanyl. They're starting to put this fentanyl or car fentanyl on child playgrounds in California, on their structures, like their little swings and stuff. They're putting it on currency they're putting it on handrails and shopping malls they're putting this stuff all over the place people are dying left and right on from fentanyl overdoses and the american people don't even know about it
0: why are they doing that is the purpose just to kill americans what's the purpose
1: to kill americans yeah they don't like us we're the last bastion of hope for freedom in the world you gotta understand that we are a free country and the rest of the world doesn't like that
0: how are they making this fentanyl, and they're not falling over dead?
1: How well,
0: does that work?
1: I don't, I don't know, but but Google police officers falling, uh, almost dying from fentanyl, and you'll see that you don't even have to touch the stuff; you just you just get exposed to it, and it'll kill you, right? And they're putting this stuff all over everything. I mean, there was a, an a, an officer in Florida just a couple of weeks ago that had uh, touched. Carfentanil uh, or fentanyl on uh, some currency and almost died. This is this is the, this is stuff that's out there and people aren't hearing about it and and people just don't get it. So the reason why I'm down at the border is because I feel like I, a 52 year old man, had to go get back in the gym and get in shape and go take my butt down to the border. And protect this country because nobody else is doing it right
0: that is like lethal modern chemical warfare
1: china has developed an air burst round that'll explode in the air right off the ground and it'll explode and it has all this fentanyl in it and the wind will take it it'll wipe out a whole city and people don't even realize this you know uh we have the intel and I spoke to one of the very highest levels of government um, about this, but there are shipping containers full of millions of rounds of ammunition and weapons that have been brought in, smuggled in from China and have been distributed all around the United States. These shipping containers they are all across the United States with millions of rounds of ammo and weapons. Why? We don't know, but they're there. and, and this has been confirmed by the highest levels of the government. Could I sit there and sit right next to the guy and said, do you know about this? And he fe- he almost fell over backwards because he was surprised that I knew about it. Right.
0: Number one, how do you sleep at night?
1: <laughs> well, you just get phone calls throughout the night. And you don't sleep
0: much. Wow. And Why? Are we not being told the truth? Is it because those high up in the government are in with the Chinese? What is happening? That's correct. They're getting lots of money from them.
1: You can you can assure that anything that brings revenue into our U.S. government, that they're complicit. They're complicit in all of it. All of it. The human trafficking, the drugs all of it i mean how do you prove it right i mean i'm not a conspiracy theory guy right i I don't have time for that crap that just that just that makes my that makes my brain numb listening to all that
0: you've seen too much though to deny it correct heather do you want to jump in here do you have anything you want to add
2: you know i i just want to bring up one big fact here when he talks about the shipping containers and we think about remember that backlog not too long ago of shipping containers just hanging out on the coast That was one of my first suspicions was weapons, acts of terrorists. They had people in there. But not only that, I don't know if you're aware of this or your listeners are, but China has been buying land all throughout Texas, and they bought 144,000 acres last year, and it has its own airstrip, and it's close to an airbase, and it's at the border, and they're expanding at this airport. And there are representatives trying to make it illegal for the Chinese to buy land in Texas and to um, basically take back the land that has already been taken, but they've been doing that all over the country. So when we talk about where is the ammunition going, where where are the rounds going and the guns, wh- what are they going to do with that, they're, they've been buying up our market with this whole housing crash that people are talking about and the fact that real estate went up really high. The Chinese were buying up all the houses. They're buying up the property, anything they can get their hands on where do you think the ammo is going? Where do you think that those fentanyl overdoses are going? They're going to the properties that they've bought and they've strategically bought them. And then it's not just in Texas, they've bought them all over this nation. They are setting up, they're strategizing and they're planning. They are also funding the cartels. They are working hand in hand with the cartels. Now, again, all of this information, if people are diligent, they can find it on their own. But a lot of people don't even think to look for those things. They think, how, how could we allow our enemies to buy land in the United States of America? But, but they do. It's just like most of our pharmaceuticals come from China. Our bags of saline that are in our hospi- hospitals come from China. That's a huge concern of mine with the hospitals. If you go in for a basic bag of saline, what if there's fentanyl in it? What if your basic diabetic medication has fentanyl put in it? Or some other kind of lethal d- drug We are relying too much upon our enemies right now. And I believe it's all strategically being placed to not go after, if you read um, The Art of War, they talk about not just going after you one way, You, you cause contention. So we're infighting, as John has said, where we're taking out our own people with things like Antifa and BLM and the left versus the right. Then they also have, you know, working with other horrible places like the cartels. They have the development of the drugs, going after the children, getting into our media, infiltrating our education system. It's a very complex, multi layered plan to destroy Americanism and destroy our republic.
0: If I'm not mistaken, I swear I saw a story just in the last day or two about Governor DeSantis of Florida. There were some Chinese wanting to buy, and I think he was going to do something outlawed or do something where the Chinese were not able to buy any more land in Florida.
2: I believe I saw that, but I haven't read it extensively yet. But I also know that I am working here this week, actually, at the Texas Capitol to discuss this very matter about Texas.
0: This is fascinating and not in a good way. Hey, Tina.
1: Um, Here's an app. It's called Marine Traffic. Com, okay. You see this app right here. I know your listeners can't see this as this is a podcast, an audio podcast, but you, this is the West coast of the United States. You see all the green and red dots. Yes. Okay. Those, the green dots are cargo ships and the red dots are oil and gas tankers. So you can see there's not a whole lot going on here on the West coast. Okay. I'm going to go over to, I don't want to
0: see it, John. <laughs>
1: This is off the coast of China. You see, it's the like difference? they're
0: on top of each other.
1: Yes, and this updates every hour. Okay, and people can go see this. It's marinetraffic.com, or you can get the app. Okay, but what you're seeing is you're seeing thousands of container vessels just being parked all across the the northern to the southern tip of Asia. Okay, they're cutting off our supply chain. This is this is not an accident. You know, you can't get groceries. You can't get baby formula you can't get medicines you know there's a lot of things in the stores that consumers can't get you can't get vehicles there's microchip shortage all of this stuff it's all right here you just have to go look at it they're shutting off our supply chain they're starving us out slowly okay so when you start starving us out slowly you cut off our supply chain we can't have are basic goods as human beings or as Americans, right? When you start to really feel the pinch that you can't go and get groceries or the groceries are now, because of a supply chain, the grocery costs have have compounded exponentially, like, like $7 for a gallon of milk? Are you kidding me? I saw that the other day in the grocery store, right? So So anyway you know, when you, when you see all of this stuff and you see all the stuff going on at the Southern border and you see the drugs coming in, you know, we're under attack. And so this is the reason why Heather and I, and a few others like us are out there trying to protect what we can at the Southern border. And we can't do it alone. You know, we have, we're working with Arizona border recon, Tim Foley, you know, he's a wonderful man and, a and has a wonderful bunch of guys with him. You know, the left paints him as a, as a militia um it's just not the case he's just trying he he put aside his personal wealth to to help protect our southern border and we have joined to help him so we're working together but we can't do it alone we ha- we need americans to stand up and say enough is enough and it's, go down there get involved if you can't get involved Pick an organization that you believe in and help fund that organization because this has to happen. We can't, you know, I I get chastised very, very critically because people say, well, you're a 52 year old man. You shouldn't be going down there and doing that. Well, yeah, you're right. You know, it's not your fight. Well, yeah, it is our fight. It is all of our fight. You know, uh, you can't expect our young children of today to go down and fight for this country because of the uh, the brainwashing that's been done over the past several years through academia, right? So it is my fight. It's your fight. It's Heather's fight. It's everybody else's fight that loves this country. So get off your couch, get in your vehicle, join an organization and go down there and help us because that is the only way that we're going to win this fight.
0: Your first time down to the border, was it shocking?
1: Are we talking south of the border or on the border?
0: Uh, either way. <laughs> either way.
1: Uh, it was...
0: Were you unprepared?
1: Well, I, I guess as a as a Marine, um, I was Semper fairly... Fi. Thank you very much. <laughs> Always faithful.
0: That's right.
1: Um, so, as a marine, I was pretty well prepared, but not prepared enough uh, when I started seeing bodies dismembered and um, you know um, all of the atrocities that was happening south of the border. Um, y- you know, I wasn't I wasn't prepared for that. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, I was a guest speaker. I also do a lot of public speaking or had done a lot of public speaking, but I was a a guest speaker at an an event down in New Orleans. And I had been working with these uh, special operations police. And uh, while I was at this event, I shut my phone off so I wouldn't be uh, disturbed. And I did my public speaking event all throughout the day. And uh, I forgot to turn my phone back on. And uh, the following morning, i woke up and i saw my phone i was like oh my god i've got a bunch of calls so i was like i didn't turn the volume back on so i turned the volume back on and i saw that these special operations guys were trying to contact me like dozens of times so i called up um the guy that i you know coordinate with and i said what's going on he's like john where have you been i said well i was at a public speaking event and um uh, I, I turned my phone off and I, I didn't realize you guys were trying to call what's going on. He's like, well, one of the uh, uh, we'll, we'll just call him a senator. Uh, one of the senator's sons was kidnapped by the cartel. And what we would do, one of the missions we would do is we would go and fly over a money drop and we would loiter over the top of a money drop. And, if the, you know, the bad guys would come in, and get the money. Then the drone would follow them back to their their little cartel hideout. And then they would go send in the police to go prosecute, right? And save the victim. Well, anyway, so he's like, well, one of the Senator's sons got kidnapped. He's an 18-year-old kid. And we're trying to get you a hold of you so you could go down and, and uh, you know, help fly a mission and save this kid. I said, oh my God, get me a plane ticket. I'm in New Orleans. I mean, I'll, I'll leave everything here. Just give me a plane ticket. And he goes, no, John, that's okay. I said, Why? And they said, well, they, uh, they chopped the kid up that morning. And so, you know, I could have, I could have saved that kid if I would have just turned my phone on, you know, I could have saved that kid. And they sent me pictures of the kid chopped up. They're on my phone. I'll never delete them. Why? But I could have saved that child, the 18 year old kid. I could have saved him if I would have just turned my phone on. I could have possibly saved him. You know, 18-year-old kid, innocent, captured by the cartel, dismembered, 18 years old. I could have saved that child. So, you know, stuff like that, I wasn't prepared for.
0: So, Heather, uh, John's a Marine. So, he uh, he saw some bad stuff before. So, maybe he was able to deal with it. I mean, I don't know that you ever get used to it. Maybe you do in a grotesque way. You just do. I don't know. But at least John had that background. You really didn't. So you go to the border for the first time. Are you prepared? And then when you do see something horrific, how do you carry that with you and not let it consume you? As I can see with John, if you let that, John, you could let that consume you and let it totally cripple you. So Heather, can you share with us a little bit of your experience with that?
2: Well, Tina, this is a different show, as you know, but I think that though I never served our country and in that way, I was raised in a very different world than probably a lot of people. You know, one of my earliest childhood memories was living in Orlando and John knows this story, but we, my mom was very low income. You know, we moved quite a bit because we were always being evicted and having to move, you know, no electricity, no food, whatever it was, homeless shelters. And when I was five years old, I was playing out and we were in these kind of project apartments on a ground level. So I would just go out the patio door and play in the grass. And there was a woman running and who was shot and killed and, and fell right before me. And I held her hand as she died. And so that's one of my earlier childhood memories. There was also a lot of just violence in my childhood as it was, uh, you know, there was a lot of abuse, a lot of fighting, a lot of yelling, a lot of drugs in and out of the home. My biological father was a part of a pedophile ring. So I was exposed early on as a child in that capacity. And then as I got older, I also was a paramedic. And then as you know, I was raped and tortured when I was in Germany for three days. And granted, that's nothing compared to what a lot of these, these girls and and women and children. Because it's not just girls; there's boys that go through it too. It's nothing compared to what they go through, that the horror that they see. So I do believe that God allowed me to go through those trials to mentally prepare me for the work that I do now. And as far as what I've seen at the border, you know, my first time at the border was with border patrol and, you know, seeing the rape trees was probably one of the more deeply impactful because I've, I've seen bodies before and I've seen things that, you know, I guess don't affect me as deeply as it would most people, but the, the significance and the symbolicism of that tree with all of the underwear all over it, that's that's the that's the many women that have been victimized and brutalized so I felt like that tree affected me deeper than some of the other things I have seen and it's just one tree you know they're everywhere there's not just the one and I think that that just gave me more of a drive because I have children and as you know one of them has passed away. And I would say that was probably the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, is being helpless in that moment. But I then when I think of him, I think about those babies in the desert that suffer slowly of dehydration or end up losing their usefulness and getting abandoned out there. And again, for me, it's more of a drive because of what I've seen. I don't want anyone else to have to see that. I don't want anyone else to have to suffer that. And if there's anything in my power that I can do to stop it. I'll do it. And I always say, you know, I am not qualified to do any of the things that I do today. I'm not qualified to do public speaking. I'm not qualified to be in the media. I'm not qualified to be on stage. I'm not qualified to be at the border. But I'm an American. And I want to save America. And it makes no sense for a young mother for to be, you know, going down to the border. But if if not me, then who? and maybe me doing what makes no sense will open some people's eyes out there and they'll say well it makes no sense for me but I need to rise up as well because that's what needs to happen we need patriots to rise up doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or a construction worker or or you've never been in the military there's always something someone can do whether it's making phone calls emails whether it's donating their funds whether it's donating their time whether it's going down to the border themselves not everybody's going to be fit to go down in person and help do these operations but there are other ways to support the operations and that's what a lot of people don't realize they feel like well I'm not healthy enough to go down there or I don't I've never held a gun before or I don't know if I could handle going off grid in the mountains anymore I'll tell you what John I don't know if you could vouch for me here, but I did not think that I would be able to handle not having a a toilet and running water and (laughs) climbing under barbed wire fences and and going through cactus. And, but I did it. (laughs) God gave me the ability to. Um, And I think a lot of people doubt themselves and think that they can't do it. And maybe, maybe that's part of the challenge. Maybe you should try to find your, your spot and, and get out there and see that you're more capable than you know. And once you realize that, you're unstoppable. You can save this nation with us.
1: You know, um, to, to back up what, what Heather was saying, you know, I, uh, I Heather had, uh, you know, a very uh, difficult childhood, as I understand from her stories. You know, it's terrible. Um, the, the events that took place in her life. Uh, you know, myself, I, I feel as though I was tortured by my stepfather.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: For years. You know, I was whipped with a fishing pole and a hook, you know, hooked into my leg and ripped my leg out. You know, I was whipped with wire, uh, bailing wire. You know, uh, I was tortured for years from this, this guy. And my only sanctuary was going to a place called Tyro Christian Church in Tyro, Kansas. And, you know, this wonderful elderly couple took me to church every Wednesday and every Sunday. And I went there to get away from this man and they brought me in and they, they baptized me, you know, they, they brought me to Christ. Um, not saying I'm a great Christian, but you know, they brought me to Christ and that was the only place that I could go to get away from the torture. And, you know, going overseas and seeing all of these children drugged and being brought into the sex trafficking and being sold, you know, as commodities. um, It makes me think back to my childhood and how much abuse and torture I was exposed to. And to see these wonderful, beautiful, innocent children being raped and tortured sold as commodities, that hits me very hard. And that is part of the reason why I think I have so much of a passion because, you know, I I always wanted to go on a public speaking tour to, to help, you know, children who are being tortured and abused, that it doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to, you know, you don't have to turn out to be a, you know, ax murderer or a drug addict, you know, you can, you can be a CEO of a company. You can still, you still have your whole life ahead of you. You just have to get through this one little bit of your life. It doesn't last forever. And, and this is the positive message that I want to give to children everywhere who are being abused as I was right. Um, so if I can save, one person or if Heather and I and the other people that we work with can save one people or one, one child or 10 children or a hundred children or a thousand children or whatever, you know, that's worth it. That's worth it.
2: You know, John, that reminds me of the girls that we were able to rescue at the border recently where they were at. And I, when I told them that God saved you for a reason and they burst into tears Yeah,
1: that's perfect. You know, those girls could grow up to be uh, lawyers or senators or presidents or whatever. Their whole lives are ahead of them. They have that life now because of people like Tim Foley and his group and Heather and myself, you know, working together. Those girls have a future they had been raped repeatedly they're what, what 14 years old 15 years old something like that they've been raped repeatedly but because of our intervention they have a new life heather just gave them a little bit of food and comforted them and prayed with them and said hey you know what there's a bigger life out there you'll be okay This is the message that we need to deliver. This is what we need to do. So I wasn't prepared for that when I started doing this. I thought I was just going to go fight. But no, there's a lot more to it.
0: It has to be really frustrating when you hear people talk about the border who have no clue. I mean, when you're telling me 30 to 40 million, I'm absolutely flabbergasted by that. Should be. But when people talk about the border, and we talk about having control at the border, and then you are a racist, you're a xenophobe, this is the United States, what do you tell people? Well, you know,
1: there's some words that we do not use. One is immigration or migration, illegals. We don't use those words because those words just piss people off, right? So that gets the other side of the fence all tilted. So we use words like drugs and drugs and drugs and more drugs and terrorists, right? Um, It's frustrating when people choose to ignore, you know, what what is is going on at the the southern border. Um, But it's all about the exposure, and, and trying to expose people to what is actually really happening.
0: Do we choose to ignore it because it just seems so unfathomable? There's no way it could be true.
1: Yes, that is, that is absolutely correct. You know, people just, you know, uh, so I work with, you know, some agencies around the world and, uh, one, one of the agencies that I, that I work with, you know, they said, uh, you know, people, they, if it doesn't affect them around their little bubble, it doesn't exist. And the only time people will ever act or react is until their bubble is penetrated and, and they're compromised in their own little, little comfort zone. Right. And so that is, that is what we have to do is we have to expose people to what is really happening because Look, look, you know, again, I'm not going to get into that conspiracy theory crap. That's just not my thing. But, you know, uh, you have to understand that we are the last bastion of hope for freedom around the world and other countries look to us. But we have this bigger, meaner entity. You know, they call it the cabal or the deep state or whoever. It's a real thing. Uh, you know, they want to get rid of our freedoms and they're doing it. They're doing a great job. We have to fight. We have to fight for our freedoms. We have to get our freedom back. And the only way we're going to get that done is if we just really expose what's happening and really, really get people to wake up because it's not about it's, it's about the voting. Right. Um, But it's redrawing the districts. You know, if you bring in all of these people from all these countries around the world and you're, you're, you're able to redraw the districts. So, you'll never have another free fair election ever again because they brought in 30 to 40 million people. They're taking people out into the country roads and just kicking them out and saying good luck. And then these other, these other, uh, I guess you could call immigrants, they're paying them 10 to $15,000 each. What do you think a, a, a military guy that's man or woman that's wounded what do you think they could do with 10 or 15,000 extra dollars? You know, I started an organization called injured warriors and we raised money to help, uh, you know, keep people in their houses and make their car payments and stuff like that. You know Um, just think though, what, what could I have done if I could have given out 10 to $15,000 per family member for each military family, you have family of four or five or free or whatever that's a lot of money this is our this is our taxpayers do- dollars you know, I, I think about that they're giving them 10 to 15,000 dollars a month and a plane ride to any state in in the union what can we do we're sending 100 over 100 billion dollars over to ukraine to go fight a war that has no business of ours right A hundred billion dollars. What could we do with homeless people or drug addicts or military veterans in the United States? What could we do with a hundred billion dollars?
0: It's all very frustrating to me, John. I want to pull out my hair right now as you're talking to me because you're preaching to the choir a few things. My nephew married a girl from Russia. They were engaged for over a year, like a year and three months. It took him a year and three months to get her to get her here to America. It was so frustrating. Frustrating to me as I see people pouring in over the border. We have no idea who is coming in. And this is just, you know, a 23 petite little Russian girl that they had to go about. Like they would meet in Turkey or they would meet in Egypt because of all of, The Mm -hmm. crap involved in it. And then I just see people pouring over the border and the money going to Ukraine. Like you said, first of all, it's an unwinnable war. It's just stupid when we are dealing with trillions of dollars in debt here. And we have a profound mental crisis that I don't know why people won't just say it. The United States has a profound mental crisis. I think that's part of the mass shootings that we experience. It's not about the the guns. It's about the breakup of the family. It's about the lack of mental care. And it all just drives me crazy when I see veterans who I talk to all the time who are suffering on a daily basis with PTS. It is all so frustrating Heather, what is your take on all this? Because why are we not helping Americans? Why are we just letting one of the questions that I have that I wanted to ask you, so I will just ask Heather, as I think it pertains to this, is it humane to let, to have unfettered access into this country?
2: Absolutely not. And that comes from someone who has uh, is very empathetic, who has many friends that were born in other countries. The problem is, when you have unfettered access, how many terrorists do we have sneaking in with that unfettered access? And they will tell you
0: that there isn't unfettered access, right? You're being told that it's being checked.
2: I will tell you, I have a very close friend down at our border who's been in Border Patrol for 22 years. I can't name him right now because Border Patrol has put a gag order on him with him speaking out against the atrocities. But... He has told me, I mean, if you have a, if you have a minor with you, a minor child, which is anybody that claims that they're 17 or under, you get released in this country within 48 hours. We're not checking if these are actual family members. We're not even checking if they're 17. I, I'd have to pull up the story. But he he had told me that they found that one of the quote unquote minors went to a sponsor family, murdered the whole family, ended up being 24 years old. But because of that policy, he was released into the country with another person and that other person got in and who knows where he is. The problem is unfettered access is not humanitarian because it's also contributing to the trafficking. One of my social media managers on my Facebook page, which is just Heather Hobbs, she lives in Mexico and she gives me updates from Mexico constantly. John can tell you her and I have talked extensively. She's sending me stuff about the cartels constantly. She's in fear for her life just for sharing the, the, the messages with me. And she's told me that all along the southern border of Mexico, the mothers, the Mexican mothers are terrified to be out past 6 p.m., that they're trying to hurry up and get their groceries and get their stuff and get inside their houses because you have these migrants from Haiti, from the Middle East, from all over, further, further south. And you know, way past Mexico, that they travel all the way up to the border because who wants to travel that far with a child? They go all the way up the, to the border and then they snatch a child from these Mexican mothers and then they use that child to get into our country. It is contributing to the human trafficking epidemic that we have. And then what happens when they don't get caught, Tina? What do you think happens to that child when they no longer are of use? They're killed or sold off they're either recycled to the cartels or they're left in the desert or you're right, they're killed. And sometimes, you know, maybe they'll be able to sell them themselves to somebody else here locally. But the problem is the open borders contribute to the abuse and to the suffering and to the human trafficking. So the the rules and the regulations need to be in place to control the traffic coming in. We need the background checks. We need the thorough investigations. We need to know who's coming into our country. We want good qualified people from other nations here. We want people that wanna contribute to America here, but that's not what's happening. You have mass amounts of people coming here. They're becoming a burden to our tax system because they're not working. They're just getting handouts. They're being placed all over the country to water down the, the red areas specifically. They're saying, here's some money, vote blue. You know what I was told by, I'm very big into the voter fraud stuff, especially here in Texas. What I've been told by a lot of my friends and that I've personally witnessed is when you go to the immigration places here in Texas, you have a ton of Democrat lobbyists there right when they come out the door, when they're coming out of immigration. Here, vote Democrat. This is what we can give you. This is how we can help you. But you do have no Republicans or conservatives, libertarians, constitutionalists, whatever you want to call yourself on any other side. There's no other party there at the door also saying we are pro-family, we are pro-religion, we are, you know, we are pro-life. They're not there. So all they have is the other side when people are coming through that immigration door telling them to vote Democrat. I
0: recently read an article, you were mentioning the sponsors, Heather, is in this article was talking about how the sponsors are not vetted. So when the children are placed in these facilities, and they need somebody to come pick them up and take care of them, the people that are coming to get them, they're not fingerprinted, the vetting process is not complete. And we don't know who these children are going to No, And you know,
2: what's crazy is I used to be a foster parent. And when I was going through foster parenting, I had to do probably eight months of background checking. I had to get my fingerprints done through the FBI and through the sheriff. I had to do a full extensive questionnaire, including my childhood in depth and, and why I thought that I could handle having these kids. I mean, it was extremely thorough eight month process. And these people are just getting innocent children who don't know the country, who don't know the laws, who don't know where their resources are. That's the biggest thing. when you know I, when I was in Germany and I was victimized, that was the biggest struggle. How right. do I get help? Do I, who, who are the police? Who, what are the laws? How do I get back to America? How do I find a way home with these children when they get here? They don't know anything. They are completely vulnerable. And that's what I think about is as a young adult who was 19, I was very lost. I had no idea how to get back. But just think if you're five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, even twelve years old, you don't know what to do. Well, you don't know where to go. You don't know about the fire department or the police department or who's corrupt and who's not. Because especially if you're down by the border, most of those police departments are paid off. You go to the police, you end up right back with the cartels and then you're punished.
1: Some of the information that we were told. Uh, actually by the cartels that the cartels pay border agents some border agents uh, 15 grand a month to look the other way that's not all border agents by the way you know we don't, I don't want to go I don't want to I don't want to step across that line but no I'm
0: sure there are that, some good ones down there who are really frustrated with the situation
1: that's the thing is that you know I go down to Mexico into certain areas uh, for my other missions and I've seen uh, I've seen my, with my own eyes training camps where they're training these some of these people and like these haitians that have come over um you know I've seen with my own eyes where these Haitians they just walk right through I get detained more it takes me longer to get across the Mexican border than it then it does these these Haitians that were coming across that's that's no joke and I know these border agents you know there's a you know un, unfortunately their uh, suicide rate for border agents has compounded exponentially and that's part of the reason why is because they know what's going on they can't say anything they can't do anything you know they got to feed their their families so so my, my heart goes out to all these border agents you know who who are trying to do a great job but you know one of the things that i wanted to kind of expand on what heather was was saying is churches uh are involved with the cartels Um, And they're out there. And we've come across, we actually drink their water. (laughs) When we go out there, we drink the water that the churches drop off for the cartels. So in this area that we go, there's no migration, immigration, any, any, any standard person coming across the border who just wants a better life. This is not the area where we are. Okay, so if you are there in this area, you are a bad person. Okay, so these churches go out there and they drop off this water and food and supplies to help the cartels with their sustenance on their journey up here to the U.S. Why? Money. I don't know. Money. What else would it be? Uh, So churches. You know, churches and we drink their water. I can send you videos. We drink their water because sometimes we run out of water. It's great water, you know. So uh, so when these children are brought into the U.S., you know, they're brought in, they're picked up by these churches. And these churches are disseminating or, you know, dispersing these children all throughout. Like Heather said, they're not being vetted. So, you know, these children, they've got a rough life ahead of them. Uh, if they If we don't intervene, if we as Americans don't intervene, and save these children. For every one of your audience members sitting on their couch, listening to your podcast for every minute that they don't get up off the couch and do something, another child is murdered or sold or raped. And Heather, you could probably expand on this, but what was that one 12 year old child that had like over 20 different types of semen in her vagina?
2: She was eight years old and she had 22 adult adult male semen samples inside of her when they got her body. She
0: was dead. Yes. So
1: when when your audience members are sitting on the couch and they're hearing this and they pick their jaws up off the floor, are they going to mobilize now?
0: Well, John, why is... America is such a hot place to go for human trafficking. and I've heard where they do human trafficking. I don't know if it's tales, but I've heard different places they do human trafficking. Why is America such a hotbed for this? And then if you can tell us about these unmanned drones and how they help with your mission?
1: Well, uh, that is a great question. Uh, why would they want to go to the US because this is the land of opportunity, and we are the ones that have the money. Now I'm not saying Heather and I are you or whoever. I'm just saying that the money is here. The people that can pay for these children, they are here. We've got a plethora of perverts here in the U S apparently, and they have money. And, and so this is why, this is why they're coming here. You go where the money is. You, you know, there's, Of course, they go into different places around the world, but this is where the money is. These are where the opportunities are.
0: It's sick.
1: It's really sick. And they get help getting here. You know, uh, when I was in China years ago, uh, I was actually smuggled into China. Um, Yeah, I was dying of um, dysentery and uh, they were trying to get me into... uh, Uh, into China, into Shanghai to get me to uh, uh, a hospital. I was on a, on a vessel, uh, you know, piloting submersible vehicles. And uh, we had two typhoons collide over the top of us. And we're, we had hundred foot seas and I was on a 200 foot long vessel. So, you know, like the movie perfect storm where you go up the the trough, you go up the backside of the swell, the swell passes, ship collapses and it surfs down the, the the you know the front side of this uh, or the back side of the swell well anyway we did that for four days I lost thirty pounds on that trip
0: Well, I can imagine
1: (laughs) and and I actually this is when I I actually died twice uh, in the hospital but anyway as we were going into Shanghai uh, our government accidentally bombed the U.S. embassy in the China or sorry the Chinese embassy in uh, Yugoslavia at the time this was in 1998 or 99 Um, so they weren't allowing Americans into China. And so they had to smuggle me into China and smuggle me into a hospital. Well, you know, I I got better. And this one beautiful Chinese family came and got me and they just kind of gave me tours around China. And I noticed these jars outside of these businesses and I got to looking in those jars and inside those jars were baby fetuses. And what they would do is if you violated their laws uh, they would put these baby fetuses, they'd pickle them and put them in these jars and they would set them outside so people would walk by and see that those people broke the law.
0: So these are the people that had more than one baby. Yes.
1: Yeah, and that was the punishment for having one baby. They'd kill the baby and stick it in a jar. They'd pickle it and set it, make them set it outside their their house or their business. So, and I saw it with my own eyes, you know? So, uh, you know, these these types of of i mean what else is it other than satanic or lack of human decency you know i mean if if, if these people will do that to a fetus what will they do to a child that's 12 years old or eight years old you know they uh I it, it's just disgusting. And I can even get more disgusting, actually. You know, you know, I can even tell you about how they consume babies over there, but anyway, we won't go into that. Uh, but if you think about these people coming into this country and what they're going to do to our children, you know, our children, uh, you know, so kind of makes sense why we're down there. Right. And, and, you know, like with Arizona border recon guys, you know, if we, we'll, we'll capture the cartels and, uh, and Heather can tell you, I've got video of Heather uh, giving medical aid to some of these guys, you know, some of these guys need medical aid, they'll get medical aid, you know, um, and then we'll take them off to, uh, and we'll call border patrol and they'll come pick them up, you know, but we have to separate the, the children from the, from the adults.
0: Tell me about these unmanned drones and how they're helping you in your fight.
1: So that's, a, again, that's a great question. Uh, as a manufacturer of these unmanned aircraft, uh, we have capabilities that, uh, you know, all the other drone companies have, uh, but we have the experience and they're more ruggedized drones so they can handle a lot more uh, treacherous you know, uh, conditions. So what we do is we can patrol the border and we have, I have, Um, I'm probably the only company in the world that has this package put together, but we have the ability to get 100% accountability of all traffic coming across the border, going both ways, right? So just as much as we have people coming, you know, cartels coming across the border, going this way, going to the north, we also have cartels taking U.S. currency, money, millions and billions of dollars south, right? Right. But we have the ability to uh, to get 100% accountability of all of these people uh, at the border. I say accountability because, unfortunately, with this administration, we can't have uh, we can't say capture because you know even if we were to capture them, you know the the, the border patrol and authorities couldn't process them right. So we have a robot dog. Um, you've seen, you've probably seen the little yellow toy looking robot dog out there. We actually have a military version of that, of a robot dog, uh, from, uh, from lone wolf. This, this dog, you can mount weapons to it. You can mount sensors to it. You can mount thermal imaging systems to it, but we have a way of getting all of these to communicate all together. And we also have these ground sensors so that if anybody walks by the sensors, the sensor will go off. And it will communicate with our dog, with our drones, with law enforcement, anybody that has the the receiver, right? So we have uh, magnetometer type sensors. So we can tell if they're carrying weapons, we have heat sensors. We can tell their human bodies, their, their core temperatures. We have cameras, we have seismic so that we can, we can feel the vibration. We know that if it's a small vehicle, if it's a person, if it's a large vehicle, so we, can, we tie all of this together, and we put this on our, our border, which we have done, we can have 100% accountability of every single person or every single vehicle coming across that, the border in that area. So this system is you know, inexpensive, and it's effective, and we can do this. Uh, unfortunately, this administration uh, doesn't want to do that. But we're also working with the country of Sudan, Because they have six borders and they have people coming across the border, uh, killing their miners and stealing their gold. So, you know, Sudan cares about their borders, right? So we're working to build this infrastructure over there. And I met with the president over there and, uh, you know, the sovereign council, and he told me that he believes that 65% of the gold is being exported out of his country is uh, illegal. So if we can stop that, We can build up his GDP just by stopping the theft, right? So that's in Sudan. But here in America, you know, we have this ability. We don't have the funding to do it, but we don't have the
0: backing from this administration. Because it's going to Ukraine. (laughs) They care more about them and their borders than they do about our borders. But
1: but let's not forget about what, what what Creepy Joe said. They said, How come you're not going down to the border? He goes, It's not important. Really, really saving one child's life is not important. Pretty damned important to me.
0: Heather, we talked a little bit about why somebody who's not in a border state should care about what's going on at the border. If you could expand on that a little bit, why should I in Utah? Why should somebody in the middle of the country, in the plains? In Tornado Alley, where you folks are, why should I care what's going on? I don't have um, these people traipsing across my farmland, which I know is a huge problem, although no one wants to admit about them traipsing across. Yes,
2: you do. Oh, I do. Will you explain that to me? That is exactly how I got into this fight. I've only lived in Texas since April 2020. And we can imagine why I left the great state of Oregon in 2020. I lived in Oregon for almost 12 years, and how I was introduced to the human trafficking side of things was in the state of Oregon, in the mountains, in Klamath Falls, Oregon, a town of 50,000 some people, because we had cartel in our forest, building up farmlands, going through ranchers' lands. We have cartels setting up marijuana. You know, it's, it's a fake marijuana business, and they've got people there. I was introduced to trafficking on the West coast because interstate five, it goes from all the way from the Mexican border to the Canadian border. So they were snatching up people all along the Western States and then taking them straight down into Mexico and bringing the money and drugs straight back up. And they have tunnels all in California, which John lived in California for quite some time as well. He can tell you, they have not only the underground tunnels for the cartels but you know if if that gets caught or if they can't get across the roads they can just go around by their boats so it, it's it's not just texas and arizona and new mexico and california and also florida people keep thinking well, florida has got a bunch of water around it perfect they can just boat right in there and and then we th- we always forget about our northern border people forget People come through the northern border, too. It's just as bad. It's just not as widely reported because, you know, you don't have as much of the the shooting and the fighting that you do with the cartels. It's not as sexy. It's not sexy news, right? Every state is a border state. Every state is dealing with this. They are also dropping them off in buses and planes all over the country. I know John has seen it in Kansas. We've seen it in small towns in texas i've seen i've heard people talk about tons over in wisconsin and in minnesota every single state is dealing with this problem but it's not reported on because that's not what they want you to be looking at they want to distract you and by day you can think about you know the one world border or whoever the elites are whoever you want to you want to call them there is always a distraction when we see big things in the news that, that is taking up every news outlet, my first thought is, what's really going on? Because they're distracting us from something bigger. You know, it's just like when Hillary was supposed to be prosecuted and all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of other big news distracting everybody. That's the exact same thing. In Utah, Utah has a human track. I know. I mean, do you recall that story of uh, the the mother, the young mother in Utah who was prostituting her daughter out, her very young daughter, and she was living in the suburbs and, and she just like looked like a typical, you know, young white girl. It was in it was in the news in Utah. And as they continued to investigate it, they found more pedophiles and then more trafficking. And then there's kids there just in these classic suburban houses that you would never expect especially during covid and i don't have i don't want to give false numbers but i know that the statistic was somewhere over 600% in the first month or two that biden took office that the trafficking went up because of the policies that were immediately put in place for the open borders people think that they, they imagine the cartels as these dumb thugs but they have Harvard and Yale graduates running their business and finance and making models. Their top tier level people are very professional CEO looking types. The ones that we imagine that we see on TV with the tattoos on their face and you know, they're, they're being thuggish and, and rough. Those are their lower level people that they don't care about. And they want you to think that's what they are, but it's not, it's highly organized, highly orchestrated, and they are choosing key states. And, you know, Unfortunately, there is there is no state that is safe from this. And even in Ohio, I have a friend in Ohio who is dealing with illegal uh, illegal people running through his farm. And depending on what state you are in, like in California, for example, you can get in trouble for defending your land. You can go to jail for shooting someone on your property. It's everywhere.
1: Tina, here's a here's a video. I'm going to show you this video. Okay. What is that? That is an armed cartel guy. Where what's What country do you think he's in?
0: Well, As- I'm guessing you're showing it to me because it's the United States.
1: Yeah, it's uh, and I can send you this video if you like or Heather. Can send I would
0: it. love that. Yes.
1: Uh, but yeah, these are armed cartels patrolling on our side of the border. <laughs> armed cartels, armed with tons of ammo on our side of the border. This is every single state's problem. You know, uh, we have the evidence, but the motorcycle gangs are coming, are developing fake trucking companies. And they're going down and meeting the cartels, and they're picking up the fentanyl and the child sex trafficking victims and these fake trucking companies, and they're dispersing them all across the United States they're getting, they're getting them out of the border states. Okay. We, we know this, there are, there are 18 wheelers that are coming across this border that have certain markings on them that um, you know, the border patrol's not allowed to stop. They just, just go right on through, you know, what's in those trucks. We don't know, you know, I mean, there's, there's that. If you go down to these Southern border states or you go down to Arizona, let's say for example, and you're just, driving by and you happen to see some type of a vehicle with a butterfly painted on it that butterfly is uh is a, is basically a sign of uh, sex trafficking it's, it's the stupidest thing you've ever seen I've and seen that's
0: it. it because what is more beautiful and fragile than a butterfly yeah
1: yeah and I think Heather could probably tell you a story about a, a butterfly uh, organization couldn't you Heather
2: Absolutely. I, down in McAllen, Texas, there is a, a butterfly museum, and it has, I believe, 100 or 200 acres of border property, and they're posing as a, a butterfly museum, and it says for school field trips and all this other stuff on their sign, but it's actually a human trafficking spot where they they're on the river there. Border Patrol is not allowed to access that part of the river because it is owned by the property. And I personally was involved in exposing that. And they had the butterfly symbol everywhere, but I can send you some pictures, Tina, that I personally took of this particular butterfly sign having bullet holes all throughout it. And and then right under it, it says, great for school field trips, you know, (laughs) and and childcare trips, and you see the bullet holes. And I worked very hard to help expose this. And they shut down because we got so much media attention put on them. Because we were explaining that, that this is a child trafficking location. And Border Patrol actually was my, my friend that I mentioned earlier. He was the one that gave me the intel that we know that this is where they are bringing kids in. They have all the, the housing and everything set up on this property. We can do nothing about it. Because they are also on the side of the county that is bought and paid for, that sheriff is bought and paid for by the cartels. And my Border Patrol agent friends uh, down in McAllen, I believe it is Star County, where I am not allowed to go into alone because it's just not safe. Because they, are, they have paid off certain members in the police force to be able to keep doing what they're doing. But the whole symbol, the the symbolism there is they're, they're a butterfly museum. And this was put in the news and they said, oh, these, these right-wing extremists are threatening us. They're going to, they're going to harm us. No, we, we simply were just exposing you.
0: Now I'm going to be wary of every time I see a butterfly museum. (laughs) Sam, that's awful. How How do you stay hopeful about the work that you're doing because it seems so gargantuan so mind-blowing it's like you have a handful of sand and the little bit that stays in your hand let's say you hold it out like this and it trickles so you've got a few here that you've been able to help you have a few grains of sand in here that you've been able to capture and then the rest just falls through your fingers back on this beach of sand. Does it ever feel like that? How do you stay hopeful? How do you keep going? There has to be times when you feel like this is absolutely hopeless and mind numbing. I can't do this
2: anymore. How do you keep going forward? Do you want to answer first, John, or do you want me to? Go
1: ahead. I'll I'll, I'll clean up. I'll play cleanup.
2: <laughs> expecting me to do a bad job here.
1: <laughs> I'll be at the end. They call that cleanup in baseball.
2: Mm. Okay, sure. Poor <laughs> choice of words. I know. Foot in your mouth. So for me, Tina, I have to just say the children. I know that it seems like such a simple answer, but God needs more righteous warriors in this battle. And he needs more people to fight for the children because the children are the next generation. And I find hope in every single one of the children that I get to help to save, but also in my own children and the children of my friends and my friend's grandchildren. I look at them and I see that if I don't stand up, if we don't stand up, we are failing them. They are not going to have a future and I want them to have a future and I find hope and drive within them. I mean, I, I call it God's rapid progression plan for me, you know, here's a bad thing. All right, get through it. Here's a bad thing. All right, get through it. And you learn and you grow and it builds you. So I don't really see it as the sand. I see it more as building blocks where I'm gaining knowledge and skills that I'll be able to help the future generations and teach those future generations. Because right now we do have this big one world order who is trying to dumb down our children. Tina, you know, my passion for things like primitive survival skills, herbal medicine, food storage, you know, water supply, those things I care about, not because I was raised to care about them. I wasn't taught anything about that, but I wanted to learn about them because of my children. And the same goes for what's happening at the border. Same goes for what's happening with abortion. We need those warriors. We need to raise them up and lift them up. And I can only do that by being an example. I can tell my children that there's amazing people in the world like John and Tim Foley. I can tell them stories of their grandeurs and what they do. But I can never expect them to act and be good patriots and fight for this country if they don't see their mother doing it, by example.
0: And John, before you uh, chime in here, I don't think what a lot of people understand, I heard Tim Ballard say this the other day, and in fact, I think I've heard him say it a few times, is what people don't understand is that there is more slavery today than there has ever been on this earth. It's true.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree
0: more. So how do you stay focused? How do you stay positive or not even positive? I don't even know. How do you keep putting one foot in front of the other when the task seems so insurmountable?
2: Think about that one, Tina, that one. You know, I've told you the story about regarding my son, And sharing my story where he was supposed to be aborted because doctors said he just wouldn't live and then i had that one mom in utah contact me when i lived in oregon and told me she so she chose life for her child because i shared my story that one that got saved gave me hope to go through all the persecution from planned parenthood all the persecution from the left because it was that one And I think about that, even if, even if John and and Tim and all of these people, we, we only save one person, is it not worth it? Jesus said, save the one, that one lamb was worth it. We have to get our mindset right there. Is that it for you, John?
1: Well, it's, it's more than that for me. Um, you know, I've had a lot of successes and a lot of failures with my companies in, in the past. And a lot of the failures that I've had, um, you know, you just have to, you have to understand the failures and, and keep going. And again, I I hope to, you know, do a lot of public speaking in the future because I, I want to help young entrepreneurs. I think, you know, they always say that the first five years of business, you know, is more likely to fail. And most of that is because people just give up. But if people can look at my successes and my failures and learn from from what I do and how I never gave up, um, and I can help them be successful, then then that's then that is my vision. That is my purpose. Um, you know, if you look at uh, like what Heather said, each person that you save, every time you stop a cartel guy and you pull his drugs off of him, think of all of the lives that you save. Okay, because there are there is death in those backpacks, right? And you know, there's an eight or ten or twelve or fifteen year old girl that's going to be continuously raped even more if you don't do that intervention, if you don't, if you don't separate them. So so that keeps me going. You know, there's some people in this uh in in this, I I don't know, I guess you could call it a movement of, of patriots who are trying to do good things. You know, there are good ones and there are bad ones There are out there. There are people that are out there just to make a name for themselves. You know, um, I get chastised, you know, by, by people saying that this is an ego trip for me. And I keep saying, well, I could get killed tomorrow and no one would ever know or even care. Right. So it's not an ego thing for me. But if you're in this movement for an ego or for personal wealth or personal gain, you're in it for the wrong reason right? There are other people down there. There's people down there that that are flying drones across the border and antagonizing the cartels. You know, they're, this is, this is an international incident. They're doing this stuff illegally. And then they're going out on these speaking tours, talking about, you know, flying drones over the cartels. This is not what we need. Okay. What we need is for people to shut their mouths and keep doing their job and saving these people and flying under the radar. Okay. Just do your good thing. A lot of people say, John, when am I ever going to see the good that I do? And I tell these people, you probably won't ever know the gravity of your presence in this movement. You will probably never know all of the lives you touched. You will never probably know the girls that you've saved, the lives that you've saved. You'll know when you meet God and God says you did this. That's kind of how I look at it. But if you're in this for the positive reinforcement, then you're in it for the wrong reason. So that is the reason why I don't give up because I know that if I can save some people's lives, I take fentanyl off of the cartels or whatever, you know, I know that I've saved people's lives. That is what keeps me going on a daily basis. It is a daunting task. It is very, very, very cumbersome to do the things that we do. Financially, it's draining. I've, I've spent $100,000 in this past year of my own money and I'm not wealthy doing this stuff, okay? Okay. I don't have a lot of money. I'm not wealthy, you know, but I've spent m- money on doing this stuff because I don't give up. I won't give up. And as much as I get criticized and chastised about how this isn't my fight, I'm too old to be doing this. You know, this is younger people's supposed to be doing this. There's a the military supposed to be doing this. The National Guard supposed to be doing this. The police are supposed to be doing this you know, blah, 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 blah. It's all just noise. This is my mission. This is my passion. This is Heather's passion. This is a, you know, there's a few other people out there. But what makes it rewarding, again, is not so much knowing the lives that you've touched, just knowing the fact that you've saved people's lives, but your listeners, the people that listen to your podcast, if they get off the couch, they communicate with us, they reach out to us, and say, hey, we're here to help, that makes it worth it because we're growing this ecosystem and this ecosystem will just continue to grow and, grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And eventually we'll win.
0: Heather, when is your next trip down to the border and how long will you be there?
2: Well, I'll actually defer that to John okay. because it is, it is upcoming, but he, you know, he has the finer details on that.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so we are looking at March, um, but we, we we're actually supposed to be, uh, down there, uh, here in the next couple of weeks, but, uh, we just got intel that the Mexican Marines came in and killed everybody on the Hill that we, uh, that we patrol. Uh, so they're all gone, <laughs> So, uh, which is a positive step, believe it or not. Um, but for operational security purposes, you know, we won't give out a lot of details. Um, so, but, but we are looking at, uh, somewhere on the Marchish area.
0: And how can the listeners help with your mission? Where can we find you on social media? How can we donate money for the cause?
1: Well, we, uh, I, have a, uh, I have a page, like a personal bio page that I'm working on developing right now that will have a, a, a donate button. Uh, I do have at sujtc.com, uh, the name of, I don't know if you want me to promote my own company, but Saxon uh, Unmanned. Is the name of my company. We also have a company that is called SUJTC, which is Saxon Unmanned Joint Training Center. Um, so it's SUJTC.com. Uh, down at the bottom is a donate to our mission. So, um, so they can they can donate there. And Heather, I don't know. Do you have uh, places where you can send folks for you?
2: I'll just defer everybody to put the funds at the same place because we all work together. So, but I have a social media page. If people want to follow some of what we do, it's Heather Hobbs on Facebook. I also have a a Twitter Hobbs pro-life and, you know, primarily my focus here isn't to promote myself. I, I share a lot of everybody else's stuff, but I think that um, putting everything at the one spot for now would be good just because we have multiple organizations collaborating together in this fight.
0: And finally, what does America mean to you, John? What does America mean to you, Heather?
1: You know, um, it's a, it's a wonderful question, uh, with my travels, Uh, around the world. Uh, I also own a coffee roastery called Java Johns. Um, And it's so funny because I would go overseas, I would get sick, or I would have, you know, warlords try to capture me and hold me ransom. And, you know, all this other funny, cool stuff, right? Uh, Not some, not so funny, but, um, you know, I would always come home, and people would would come into the coffee roastery and just want to meet me and talk to me about, you know, my travels and wonderful people I've met around the world. And I always get asked this question. It's like, what is your, what is your favorite country in the world? Out of the 80 countries you've been to, what's your favorite one? And you know, my answer is always the same. It's home. That's my most favorite country. You know, uh, I've been to all of these different countries and I've met some of the most wonderful people that exist. You know, I, I was Medevaced out of Vietnam twice, and my guys that worked for me as the helicopter was lifting me off the ship were crying because they cared for me and they were sad that I was sick and I was dying, you know, twice. You know, um, I I, and I and I've I've, you know I have had you know warlords in Tunisia try to capture me and hold me ransom. I have you know been in terrorist bombings. I I have had you know uh, uh, you know Islamic extremists try to capture me in Malaysia. You know I've lived through all of this stuff, and I but I've met all of these wonderful people. But but home, you know, the United States of America is my home, and these are the people that I love um and the fact that we have the freedom to to choose whatever we want to choose that we have the right to religion we have the right to free speech we have the right to bear arms we have all of these wonderful rights and we have look at the mountains of colorado the mountains of washington the mountains of tennessee and kentucky and virginia the beaches of Florida, the beaches of California, the beaches of Oregon, you know, people going to the grocery stores with their children, you know, people going to sporting events, you know, just people living our everyday lives. That is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And that is not what every other country in the world gets to enjoy, but we get this. This is our, our, our rights as, as Americans. That's what America means to me. And, Family, you know, being able to enjoy one another and enjoy the the gifts that God has given us, which is the mountains and groceries and trees and beaches and fish and animals and deer and bears, you know, all of this stuff. I know it sounds really weird, but this is what is America. And that's what America means to me. And, you know, if I have to fight to protect that for all of my fellow Americans I will do that I have a pet peeve I have a pet peeve when people say I'll take a bullet for this country well, well you should you should listen to those things ringing over your head first before you make that assumption right because once those little bullets fly over your head you may not be willing to take a bullet for your country right so but I have a number of times committed to protecting this country until my last breath. And when I say I'm a sacrificial lamb, if that's what has to happen, if that's what God wants for me, then that's what has to happen. But I will fight for every single man, woman, and child in this country until my last dying breath. That is America for me.
2: That was really beautiful, John. I don't know if I can clean up on that. <laughs> <laughs> Just do your best,
0: Heather. <laughs> you can clean up better than
1: I
2: can. No, America for me is something that is, I guess, a dream. I've, I've always had this dream of having an acreage with lots of babies and growing property and are growing on my property and, and having animals and, you know, having a small town with my fellow neighbors and everybody knows everybody and we're doing potlucks and community events and helping one another, those in need and serving our elderly and taking care of our pregnant women and just the the compassion and beauty of America that I have seen. I know there's a lot of ugly wickedness out there. I've lived in big cities, I've lived in small towns, I've lived in many, many states and I have to tell you, the, the beauty of America is the, the freedom, the freedom to be able to be whatever you want. When I lived in Germany, I had quite a few friends that I had made there, and one of them told me how excited she was that she tested to be a doctor, and I said, what did you mean you tested to be a doctor? And she told me that there's a standardized test when you're 16 years old that essentially determines what job field you're allowed to go into for the rest of your life. And that just blew my mind because I thought about how much I love America, that if I want to be a paramedic when I start out, I can do that. And then if I want to switch and open a business, I can do that. If I want to be a stay-at-home mom and make a bunch of babies, I can do that. If I want to have a farm or a construction company, I have every opportunity in this country to do whatever I want and be free and have the opportunity to do any kind of diversified businesses I want. And I don't have to worry about, as in other nations, someone telling me, you can't do that. We have that freedom and that beauty. We have, I feel like, the most patriotic nation. I believe that, you know, that's why we have that fun little slang term, Marca, because we are patriotic. We are taught from the time we were born that this is the greatest country on the planet. And I believe that. And I believe that's why they're trying to destroy us. We are the last hope for the world. We are are an idea that to the communism and socialism is toxic and i find that hope within our nation within our people to be beautiful america to me is that vision i told you being able to choose and do what you want and have that dream and being able to attain it and it not just be a dream
0: all right patriots john said it get up off your couch do something, participate in this great idea of America, do your part because we can all help in our own small or big way, help out on the border, whatever way you can. John and Heather. Wow. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to speak to both of you. Thank you for listening to this episode of another fellow Patriot. Be sure to check the show notes for links to this week's guest. For more connection to the podcast, visit www.we the peopleouramericanstory.com for social media links, patriotic merchandise, and to sign up for the We the People newsletter. And finally, be a voice, a strong voice, a voice for freedom. As Benjamin Franklin so eloquently stated, where liberty dwells, there is my country.